Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. ...to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter the rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of the disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The reading of the word of God. Good morning. Glad to see you all here on this uh, the, the Sunday where they take an hour away from us. I don't know. <laughs> One always throws me a little bit. Um, as I don't know when. Other people change their clocks at different times. I don't know if you're a do it the night before or the day after, but as a pastor's family, we would always do it the day before. So I go through. I went going through last night, and it's just that it's just you, you, you see the cost of it because you're like, oh, it's early still. And then you change the clock, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's bedtime. Uh, at, least, at least for me on a Saturday night. Just, just moving one hour just makes such a difference. So we're so glad you're here today. Thanks for being here. Uh, let's pray, and we'll get right into that, uh, that text. There's a meaty text. All of these texts are so meaty. So we'll, we'll get right into it and ask for God's help. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the, the life and breath and, and just the desire in our hearts to be amongst your people, to be here uh, together. And we are so honored to worship you. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you, Father, for your love for us. We thank you, Spirit, for your empowerment in us. Uh, Holy God, three in one, we worship you today. Uh, and we ask for your help as we uh, study this text together. Uh, help us, Lord Jesus, to, to understand it, to at least have an overview of it, and, uh, and to come away from this place better equipped to follow you. Uh, because of what we, we study together in this passage. And so we just look to you now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of every single one of our hearts be pleasing to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, the story is told of a, a man who was uh, driving through the night. He was on a long trip. He drove all through the night. 
And when the sun finally came up, he, he kind of did a quick check. He was still pretty far away from his destination. He realized he wasn't going to be able to do it in one shot. So he decided to, to pull over and take a nap. And so he kind of saw there was a city come up, coming up ahead. And he, he said, I'm going to pull over, find a nice quiet park, and take a nap. And so he did. He found one relatively easily. He found a nice quiet park. It was early in the morning where he could, uh, sun had come up, where he could uh, take a nap. And so he kind of pulled his, you know, pulled his hat down over his eyes, leaned back to take a nap. And just as he was dozing off, there was a, a tap on his window. So he, he looks over and there's a jogger. Someone was out jogging. And so he pulls the window down a little bit and this jogger's there. The guy says, hey, sorry, sir, but excuse me, do you have the time? Do you know what time it is? So he, he checks his, his clock on, uh, on the dashboard and uh, it, he sees, he, he says to the man, it's 6.15, 6.15. It's like, thank you, thank you, sir. And jogger goes off. <sighs> All right, fine. So he, he kind of leans back again, tilts the seat back, starts to drift off. Just as he's a, just in that spot where you fall asleep, again, <sighs> he looks up and now a woman's there. She's you know, got the sweatpants and the sweatshirt. She's out jogging just like the other guy. He rolls the window down. She says, excuse me, sir, do you know what time it is? He looks at the clock on his dashboard, and he tells her it's 6.25. Thank you, sir. And off she goes. Well, he can see how this is going to go. And so uh, he gets an idea. He reaches into his, uh, his briefcase in the back, and he pulls out a, a nice yellow pad and a pen. And uh, he, he writes in big block letters, I do not know the time. I don't know. I do not know the time. He writes in big block letters, puts it there in the window. Okay. So he, he leans back, just starting to drift off. And wouldn't you know it? He looks up, there's another jogger, and the jogger's standing there. He points to the sign. He says, sir, it's 635. (laughs) Sometimes it's really hard to get the rest that we need, right? Sometimes it's really hard to just get some rest. That's true for physical rest. We all know that. Right? Sometimes it's, it's really hard. Maybe there's a baby in your house. We love those babies, but sometimes they make it hard to get all the sleep that we need. Uh, maybe we're dealing with something stressful in our life, and it's just kind of keeping us up at night, and that makes it hard to get rest. Maybe you know, you're, you're dealing with an illness or some chronic pain. That makes it hard. Maybe your government just decided to take an hour away, and, and that makes it hard uh, to, to get some rest. Uh, it's just hard, right? Sometimes there's things going on in our life that where it's hard for us to get the physical rest we need sometimes. The same thing is true spiritually. The same thing happens to us spiritually. Sometimes it's hard for us to get that spiritual rest, that inner rest that we need so much. And and that's why this passage, the one we're going to look at today, is really good news. It's good news because it tells us how to get the spiritual rest that we need. You're on your own for the physical, although he'll help us with that too. Uh, But this passage tells us how to get the spiritual rest that we need. We're continuing in Hebrews. For those who may be visiting, we've been, uh, we're studying Hebrews, uh, the first six chapters together this spring. And uh, last week, we talked about, kind of in the earlier, you know, at the end there, the second half of chapter three, we talked about the, the danger of spiritual heart disease. You might remember that from last week. Uh, and, and last week's passage really is, is kind of a, an intense passage in the sense that it's a warning. Last week's passage was, was, in an, in a, was a warning. Uh, verse 12 contained the heart of the warning. Watch out. Watch out, take care, the ESV says, lest any of us have a, 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 an evil, unbelieving heart, that spiritual heart disease that we talked about. And the reason we need to watch out for that, and we talked about it a little bit last week, uh, is that an evil, unbelieving heart keeps us from rest. 
Right? That's why it's so dangerous. It, it keeps us from entering God's rest. And, and that's really where we left off at the end of the chapter, verse 19. Uh, the Israelites were unable to enter God's rest. Why? Because of their unbelief. And so that's what an evil, uh, unbelieving heart is. It's a heart that doesn't trust God, a heart that doesn't believe Him. Well, today's passage picks right up where that left off. In fact, it's, it's still part of the same argument. Uh, there is a difference, though, and I, why I separated them where I did. It was kind of a natural place to separate the two halves. Uh, the difference is that last week's passage was more focused on warning, whereas this week's section, the verses Sandra read for us a few minutes ago, shifts to encouragement. And I really think that's the idea here. There's, there's a, a, an encouragement here. Basically, this part of the, of, of the chapter is, is one great big you can do it. You got this. You can do this. You can persevere in your faith, right? This thing that we're talking about, this thing that we were just warned we must do, you can do it. You can persevere in your faith. And when you do, you will. You will find the rest you're looking for. And that's uh, the main lesson that we're going to talk about today. Uh, when we persevere in our faith, we will find rest in the Lord. That's the connection this text makes. The first leads to the second. Persevering in our faith leads to entering the Lord's rest. Uh, for the next few minutes, uh, that's what I want to talk about. And this is a complex passage. I'm going to start to sound like I'm making excuses every week. But, but there's just a lot here. But, and, and, and so my job is to, is to put it here where we can apply it to our lives. And as I was looking at this and studying through it this week, it seems to me what we're given here are three resources. God gives us three resources that are meant to help us persevere in our faith. So he's encouraging us to, to endure courageously. That's the theme of this series. This passage is encouraging us to, to persevere in our faith, watch out for anything that's going to keep us from persevering. Well, here are three resources in verses 1 through 13 that help us persevere so that we can find rest in, in Jesus, so we can find rest in him. So I want to walk us through these three resources and, and give us a good understanding of these 13 verses as we go. So number one, resource number one is promise, the Lord's promise. It's going to help us get there. We can enter the Lord's rest because we have the Lord's promise that we will enter his rest, right? We can count on that because he says we can. And this is actually, I think this is the first time we've hit it, but it's a big theme as we keep working through Hebrews. He's going to keep coming back to the, the, the validity and the certainty and the strength of God's promises. And he, that's certainly the idea here. We will because he says we will. It's where the passage begins, right? So it begins, verse, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. All right, so I'm going to just stop here for a minute and talk for just a few minutes about promise uh, because, because I think it's key to the first five verses and really this whole section. So last week, we, we talked about this warning. An evil, unbelieving heart leads people away from the Lord. And so what was the takeaway? Where did we land at the end? Well, we better believe then, right? We should believe. That's, that was the takeaway. An evil, an unbelieving heart leads away from Lord, the Lord, so believe in the Lord, trust in the Lord. So now we learn here in this first verse that if we do that, if we're people who believe in the Lord, we're standing on a promise, right? There's a promise that we're standing on. And he says the promise still stands. This promise is still available. What's the promise? The promise is that we'll enter the Lord's rest, we will enter it because this is the whole argument he's making, right? This whole section, uh, there's a, a, a very simple kind of a black and white formula here. Uh, those who do not believe do not enter the rest of the Lord. That was, that was why it necessitated a warning in last week's passage. But those who do believe do. They do enter his rest. 
And, and he calls that a promise, right? So that's why he says, make sure you believe. You, you read the, the whole verse now. Uh, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, uh, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So, um, and, and uh, this part of Hebrews is a little repetitive, and so I'm going to keep repeating myself. And you're like, did he lose his place in his notes? <laughs> well, maybe, but, but no, actually. Uh, it, it, I'm being repetitive because he's being repetitive. Uh, and so he's going to say something we've already talked. He, he says, not everyone enters the Lord's rest, right? Some fail to reach it, he says. Who? Who fails to reach it, right? So if you're sitting here you're like, well, I gave my life to Jesus. Am I going to fail to reach it? No, you're not the one he's talking about. It's the ones who do not believe. Who fails to reach it? It's the ones who don't believe. That's who, don't, who doesn't enter the Lord's rest. So hold on to your belief, right? Make sure you believe. That's, that's the logic of this. The rest of that section, the rest of verses uh, one through five, he just keeps making that point. And, and he basically does it with this back and forth uh, of, between belief and unbelief. And so he just lays these two sides out for us. Uh, I'm, not, I'm actually not going to go through them line by line. I'm just going to kind of show you how he does this. So, so he gives us, on the one hand, this is verses, I'm summarizing now, verses 2 through 5. Uh, on the one hand, we have that wilderness generation of Exodus. And we talked about them last week, right? That was the generation, uh, that, that generation did not believe the Lord. They heard the good news, he says. Watch how he, he, he frames their experience in our terms. They heard the good news. The good news came to us, he says, just as the good news came to them. It's there in verse 2. Good news for us, we know that term. That's gospel. The good news is the gospel, right? Jesus came and died for our sins and took our, our punishment upon himself that we might live in him forever. They had good news too. Their good news was freedom from slavery, just like ours, but theirs was freedom from slavery in Egypt. Right? They even had a deliverer. His name was Moses. So they heard the good news just like we heard the good news, but they didn't believe it. Right? And that's that example we, we looked at in chapter 3. They didn't believe the good news. Right? Despite everything God did, they didn't believe, and so they didn't enter the promised land. Right? So we have that on the, one hand, on the one hand, that example of unbelief. He sets that against the example of those who do believe. And there were actually, and he mentions them in verse 2, there were people in that wilderness generation who did believe. There were some who did, most famously Joshua and Caleb. Right? Joshua and Caleb believed the Lord. They said, yes, we can take that promised land in him. And they were the ones who were allowed to enter into the rest. So, so you do have them, but then it says the rest of the, the people were not united with them in faith. That's, that's the reference to them, even though they're not mentioned by name. But they're not the main point. This isn't a text about Joshua and Caleb or even about Moses. This is a text actually about what God's doing for us. And so we're the ones who are, put our faith in the Lord. Right? So that's what he's setting. He's setting the, the believers who are reading Hebrews, he's putting them in contrast to that unbelieving wilderness generation that walked away from the Lord. And I, I see this in verse 3. Look at how he pulls us in. Right? It's like he, 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 he kind of goes like this, and he, he kind of pulls us in, and he says, but we who have believed, we who have believed, we who are reading this letter and believe, we do enter that rest. So do you see the, the, how the promise is functioning there? They didn't believe, and they were excluded. Verse 3, but we who believed, we who have believed do enter their, the rest. And so there's the promise. Right? You, you, there is no example of someone who believed who is then excluded. That doesn't happen. That's not a category. You have those who don't believe who are excluded. You have those who do believe who are included in his rest. There's no believe and not included. It doesn't 
work that way. And so you have this, this rest. You will, if you believe in Jesus, you will enter the Lord's rest. Now, let's say a few words about this rest. We've been talking about rest here for at least two weeks, and we actually haven't clarified what it is. We've kind of talked around it a little bit. But when verse 3 says, we who have believed enter that rest, what are we talking about? What, what rest are we entering? I'm going to do a little, and uh, we could say a lot more on this, but we'll do just a brief little summary here. Um, if you look at the concept of rest in Scripture, basically it's going to take two forms. We're going to talk about rest in two forms. The first is rest in this life. Rest now. Rest in this life. The other is rest in the life to come. All right, so you got rest now, rest in the life to come. Some rest we can experience now. The rest of the rest we experience later. We experience when we get to eternity. So the rest in this life, let's say a little bit about each one. The rest in this life comes from, so we're going to just frame this. So for the Exodus generation, it would have been entering into the promised land. That would have been their rest, right? They, they, you know, from Egypt to the, the lush land of milk and honey in, in two years. That, that was what God wanted to give to them, but through their unbelief, they didn't. That was rest for them. More importantly, rest for us comes from freedom in Jesus Christ. Right? It comes from the freedom we have in Christ. This was hinted at in the first part of chapter 3, when we first started that discussion about how Jesus is greater than Moses. Right? So Jesus, we, we talked about it that week, Jesus set us free from the burdens of the law. And so now we don't live by law, we live by faith. Right? Ephesians 2.8, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by law. And, and so as a result, we rest, we enter his rest. Uh, this is the rest that Jesus is inviting us into in Matthew, right? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden or heavy or burdened, and I'll give you rest, right? When he says that, when he talks about that in in uh, Matthew eleven, he, I don't think he's talking there about the eternal rest, which we'll get to in a minute. Maybe that's included, but when he says, "Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden," I will give you rest now. He's, he's offering something that that we get to enter into now. Right? And so there's a promise there. If we draw near to Jesus, he gives us rest. He does. And it's basically one of the benefits. Right? There are costs to following Jesus. We take up our cross and follow him, but there are a whole bunch of blessings and benefits. And one of the benefits is that he gives us rest. And a lot of times that rest comes in the form of freedom. Freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear, freedom from the burdens of legalism, freedom from a purposeless life. We could, we could go on and on, but it's that basic idea. So you have, that's, so how do we, so in this life we can access his rest by putting our faith in him. To appreciate how good that is, just look at the contrast. If, if someone does not trust in him, we disqualify ourselves from his rest in this life, right? We, we, and, and this can even, this part can happen with believers if we're not chasing after Jesus, right? So in the short term, in the near-term experience, we can disqualify ourselves from the rest he offers us, right? If we, every time we choose sin over faith, we're choosing weariness over rest. If we choose sin over faith, we choose weariness over rest. Because if you look at the, the, the tenor and the, the, the mood of these warnings, Jesus doesn't give his rest to everyone, right? I mean, that, that's, he's been hammering that. He only gives it to people who come to him. Jesus even said that in Matthew 11. Come to me and I will give you rest. So if we want his rest, we need to come to him. That's the idea. And, and so there's, there's that, we're talking about that rest, that earthly experience of rest. That's only available in Jesus. 
It's available in Jesus. We're not going to find it in entertainment, right? We can find escapism in entertainment, but not rest. We're not going to find it in, in substances or money or retirement or education. We're not going to find it in marriage. We're not going to find it in having children or a great career. None of those things. Those, are all, those are all have benefits in their ways, but none of those things are going to provide us that deep soul rest that only Jesus can provide. So there's that kind of rest. When Scripture talks about rest, that's one of the kinds of rest we're talking about. The other side of biblical rest is the one I think a lot of times we think of when we start talking about this category. It's the rest of eternity, right? That eternal rest. Uh, You hear about it so often when you attend a funeral, right? Because everyone wants to believe that when someone they care about dies, well, that person's now resting, right? it's, 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 It's... it's really a Christian doctrine that has entered into the whole of culture, right? Oh, she's resting now. I should, you know, maybe she had no faith at all, but she's at peace. She's at rest now. And it's a very comforting thought to think that way. It's not necessarily true, though, right? It's not necessarily true because, what does it say? Not everyone gets that rest. Right, so you don't think of Hebrews as, as, as uh, teaching this sort of thing, but Hebrews is actually a very strong book against the doctrine of universalism, right? There's no room for universalism. And and Hebrews makes that that so clear here. Everyone doesn't enter his rest. It's only those who believe, believe, right? It's only those who believe in the Lord. And and so so you have that hanging there. There's that tension there as well. If we we believe, we will enter his rest. It's a promise. (laughs) Uh, But if we don't believe, we won't. And that's, that's why that, that sharpness of, of the warnings in this part of the book. And, and that's why, let me, uh, this first point, I'll just warn you, uh, the first point is longer than the other two combined because there's just a lot to pack in here. But let me just explain now, I think, a tension that verse 1 raises for us. Because here I am talking about promise, and I told you uh, this section is encouraging, and you're like, well, it, it doesn't sound encouraging. I mean, <laughs> I mean it starts out by saying, uh, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear right? That's the ESV. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Why does it say that? Why does it use that kind of language? Well, it uses that kind of language because the stakes are so high. The stakes are very, very high, uh, right? I mean, we're talking about eternity here, right? And so, so that's why it says that. It helps to understand that I think contextually, this isn't fear in the sense of terror or, 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 or even insecurity. It's the fear of carefulness, that's really more the idea here. In fact, the NIV translates it that way, and this is one of those cases where I, like the, I prefer the NIV's translation. NIV says, let us be careful, right? And I think that better captures it. Therefore, uh, let us be careful, lest any of us should seem to fall. And so, yes, we, we have the Lord's promise, but the Lord's promise doesn't make us reckless, right? That's what's going on here, right? Because then that would be the danger if whenever we, we talk about that kind of Uh, a certainty of salvation, well, does that mean I can do whatever I want? Absolutely not, right? Let us be careful. It doesn't make us reckless. It makes us careful as we follow the Lord. Let me uh, try to illustrate this. Um, About six or seven years ago, I had the privilege of uh, traveling to Israel. And uh, while we were there, we did this like 14-day study tour. And one of the days, uh, we hiked down a mountain. There was this small, it's a small mountain by, you know, Colorado standards, but it was big for that area. Uh, it was called Mount Arbel. So you could look it up on a map. Mount, Ar- Mount Arbel is up in the Galilee region. And the reason we went to the top of Mount Arbel is that it looks out over the Sea of Galilee. So it's actually on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And, uh, and, and if you're, when you're at the top, you can look out, you can see the whole lake. The Sea of Galilee is actually a lake. You can see Capernaum down there, all these places that you read about in the Bible. So, so that was part of our tour. We took a bus to the top uh, of, of Mount Arbel, and we had a nice little teaching time about the geography and all that kind of stuff. Um, after the teaching part was done, we were given the option to hike down. So we could hike down. And if you didn't feel up to it, that was fine. You could just take the bus back down. There was an alternate activity. But if you wanted a little adventure, you could hike back down Mount Arbel. And it was, it was a shortish hike. It was less than two hours. Um, and, uh, and so I did. I, I, I decided to do the hike. Most of us did. Most of the hike was very manageable. And I should tell you, this is like it was all there was a trail, and this is actually one of Israel's national parks. So it was a, a well marked trail. We knew exactly where we were going. Uh, and it was, most of it was very manageable, very, very doable. But they did warn us before we left that there was one spot that was dangerous. There was one spot on this, on this hike that was dangerous. And, and uh, the reason it was dangerous is it was, very, uh, it was basically this ledge. So for about 30 or 40 feet, if we were going to get from, if we were going to stay on the trail, we had to walk on this ledge that was not much wider than that. And so it was kind of one of these. You'd be kind of going along like this. And there was a rock face in front of us and kind of nothing behind us. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, thousands of feet, but it was many dozens of feet. You, you, it wasn't going to go well if you went over the side. Let's just say that. And you had to skirt this ledge, right? And they warned you, you're going to have to skirt along this ledge 20, 30, 40 feet, maybe at the most. You'll be safe, though, they said. You'll be safe as long as you hold on to the chain. You see, that it's, like I said, it's a national park, and they had put this chain uh, very securely attached at multiple places along the way that was you know, in, fixed into the rock wall, and, and so you just have to do this, right? So you just have to go along on the ledge as you're going along. And, and our guide, he says, I've done this hundreds of times. I've, I've been over this. It's safe. You will be fine as long as you hold on to the chain. He promised. And he was right. He was right, right? We all made it. It was, it was a little nerve-wracking. I don't get to do cool stuff like that very often. It was a little nerve-wracking, but, but the promise was true. Right? The promise he made was true. We held on to the chain, and we were safe. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here in this section. It's dangerous out there, right? Especially as you try to process verse 1 and, and the tension between promise and exhortation. Uh, it's dangerous out there. Right? This is not a game. Life is not a game. This is serious stuff. Right? People die. People get sick. Awful things happen. And, and at the end of it, all eternity is at stake. But if we hold on to the chain, if we hold on to our faith, if we persevere in Jesus, we will be safe. Not might be. We'll be safe. We will enter the Lord's rest. He promised. And so that's one of our resources. We cling to the Lord's promise. All right, resource number two. Uh, and uh, this one kind of, well, they all flow together. They always do. The, the next resource is the Lord's invitation. The Lord's invitation. We can enter the Lord's rest because the Lord's invitation to enter his rest is still open. The invitation is still open. Some invitations, they close after a while, right? But not this one. This invitation is still open. That is the main idea of verses 6 through 11. All those things he says in there, he talks about Joshua, and he quotes from Genesis, and all these things he's saying. The point of it is, God's invitation to rest is still available. 
So let me, uh, let me just show you what, how this is working in this text. Um, and before I look at 6 through 11, I actually need to take you back to verse 4 for just a moment. Uh, in verse 4, we're introduced to another form of rest. Really, it's another metaphor for the rest. So up till now, he's been talking about the promised land. That was all through chapter 3. The promised land, the Exodus generation, they didn't enter the rest. Uh, that is, they didn't enter the promised land. But now in verse 4, he says, but there's another kind of rest. And, and he takes us back all the way to the beginning. He takes us all the way back to the Sabbath rest of Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. He takes us back to the seventh day of creation, the day of rest, God's rest, right? And he quotes it, Genesis 2, 2, God rested on the seventh day from all his work, right? God rested, not because he needed to rest, not because he was tired, but because he's a God who invites his people into his rest, right? So, he's, he, so he goes back there. The reason our author goes back to that one is he wants us to understand that this is bigger than just one generation, because remember, this is Christian uh, Jewish people who had converted to Christ. Those are the original recipients of the letter. And so he, he, he needs them to understand. The author wants them to understand. It, this wasn't a one-off, right? This isn't a, only for the, the Exodus generation and they blew it. And so now we're all, we're all in trouble. No, God, has, God offers rest to every generation. And so he takes us all the way back to the beginning. He starts with Adam and Eve. And, and Adam and Eve stand for, they're, they're the federal head, we, is the term we use, for the entire, gen, the, the entire race, the whole human race is, is, is contained in them biologically. And so in inviting Adam and Eve into his Sabbath day rest, he invites the whole human race into his Sabbath day rest. And sadly, Adam and Eve set a pattern that most of the race is going to follow, all, you know, or even all the way up into our, our day, right? And so the Lord establishes his rest, he invites them, because remember, they're created on the sixth day, right? And then day seven, he invites all the creation to enter into rest with him, but Adam and Eve didn't enter into the rest, right? Why? Think about it. Why didn't Adam and Eve enter into his rest? Because they didn't believe, right? God said, don't eat. You can eat everything else, but don't eat from this tree right here. That one I'm keeping for myself. You cannot eat that one. And they said, oh yeah? They didn't believe, right? They didn't believe him. They ate, their disobedience led to, dis, excuse me, their unbelief led to disobedience, which led to being excluded from God's rest. What happens? They're expelled. They're expelled from the garden. So you have that in their generation, but it's not just their generation, right? It's, it's, it's the wilderness generation with Exodus. We talked about them. Uh, but then it, it keeps going. This pattern keeps going of God's open invitation for rest. That's one of the reasons he quotes that Psalm 95 so much and why he keeps quoting it. He quotes it again this time. Every time he, he says those words, um, he hardened or do not harden your heart. Remember from last week, that's a quote from Psalm 95. That's David, right? David wrote Psalm 95. So 400 years later, almost 500 years later, after the Exodus generation, David is saying to his generation, don't harden your hearts. Believe in him, trust in him, come to him. So you've got these different days. You've got the creation day. You've got the promised land generation. You've got David's generation. Now you've got the readers of Hebrews. And his point in all of this is us too. It's us too. This invitation to believe, to not harden our hearts, it, he, God keeps extending it, which is what he says in verses 9 through 10. Do you see how he draws his conclusion in verse 9? So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Talking to us. For whoever has entered God's rest, 
Whoever has entered God's rest has also entered from his works, uh, has also rested from his works, as God did from his. And so his point here in this part is that the invitation is, is open, right? Every generation gets a chance to respond to the Lord by faith, including us including us here in the 21st century in our techno age with all the things going on around us, that invitation is just as open to us. Uh, At the more personal level, uh, God doesn't cut us off because of what our parents did or our grandparents did or the the nation we, we grew up in did, right? His mercies are new every morning and his invitation is open to every generation. That's good news. That's really good news. Uh, we, be, we take it for granted, but it's not. We shouldn't because God could have closed the door. He could have closed the invitation with one people group, the Jews, or with one generation, the promised land generation, but he didn't. Instead, he, he keeps it open right up till the day Jesus comes back. Whenever that day is, it's, that invitation is open. And so having established that in verses 6 through 10, the author then draws a conclusion. He says, therefore, let us strive there's that tension again, right? We've got the promise, and what do we do with the, because we have the promise? Well, we strive, right? We strive to enter his rest. That also emphasizes the open nature of the invitation, right? If the invitation were closed to us, we would be fools to strive for it. We would be fools to, to bang on the door of a, of, of a, of a party that we, was already over or that we weren't invited to. But the invitation is open, and so we should strive. He says, strive, hold on to your faith, strive, as you follow the Lord. It's very similar to what Paul says when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's that same idea. It's not fear as in terror, it's fear as in carefulness. Be careful. Hold fast to Jesus. Which brings us to the third resource we have. The third resource is the Lord's word. The Lord's word. We can enter the Lord's rest because the Lord's word is actively working. He is actively working. Uh, through his word. And so we find ourselves talking now about this, the Bible. Take a look at verses 12 and 13. This is where he talks about the Bible as the, uh, one of the very best resources we have for persevering. So he says in verses uh, 12 and 13 here, he says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Uh, Those two are conceived of as inseparable. So God's word can separate the inseparable is the idea. Piercing to to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When I outlined this series, uh, my original plan was to do a separate sermon on verses 12 and 13. Uh, and, and my reasoning was that these two verses are really important for our doctrine of Scripture. If you've ever looked at like systematic theology and our doctrine of Scripture, uh, this is real, one of the very most important passages. Uh, it, it really is important. So I kind of had this idea, so, uh, this idea that I would do a separate sermon on God's Word. But as I was studying it this week, and even the week before too, I was looking at it, I, I realized that if I'm going to honor the author's intention in Hebrews, I really need to have those verses in this week's text because they're not just a standalone verse. Sometimes we treat them that way, almost like, oh, there's that cool proof text about the authority of Scripture. That's not how the author is using those two verses. He's using them to show how we do everything he's been talking about up to this point. 
Like you really can see verses 12 and 13 as a, um, a, a transition point, a summary and a transition point before he introduces um, the high priesthood of Jesus, which we get to in the next passage. And so this is, this is really important. The, these two verses are really important for how we do what he's been telling us. Uh, here's what I mean. Let me, let me explain a little more. As I look at 12 and 13, they answer two questions about persevering. Right? There, there are two questions we have about persevering in our faith, and verses 12 and 13 answer them both. The first question is, how do we know this is true? All this stuff, right? So we're told to persevere in our faith, and it's based on these things we've been told in, verse, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, but how do we know they're true? Because we've learned a lot of things. You know, Jesus, fully God, fully man. We've talked about Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than angels. Um, He's going to keep us, right? We've been talking about his promise. That all sounds great, but how do we know that it's true? And the answer the author gives us is because it comes from here. We know it's true because it's God's word. Uh, If you look, and you know this because we've been studying it together, uh, the author has quoted the Old Testament at least a dozen times so far. He's quoted at least a dozen different Old Testament passages, some of them more than once in the first three, three and a half chapters. And he's just getting warmed up, right? You know there's a lot more coming, right? And so he quotes the Old Testament a lot. And and we've said from the beginning that really he's building his argument around what you and I call the Old Testament. At the time, it was the only scriptures written except for the, the letters and the gospels that were in the process of being written. And so he's building everything he says is built on the authority of God's word. And so that's what he's affirming, right? That's one of the functions of verses 12 and 13. He's saying, listen, this stuff I'm telling you, this isn't just opinions. This isn't just what some guy who's got some training thinks. This is God, God's active, living, um, incisive word. That's where we're getting these things from, he says. So how do we know this is true? We know it's true because God tells us it's true. That, that's his, 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 his answer to that, that first question. The other question these verses answer is, okay, so how are we going to do it? How are we going to do this? I mean, just think about verse 11, right? It, you can, we'll, we'll focus on 11, but there's been a bunch of these. We've had some commands, we've had encouragements, we've had an, a warning, right? Several warnings. Uh, verse 11, if I just look at verse 11, he says, strive. It's a word that means make an effort. I'd strive to enter that, that rest. That sounds like work. <laughs> that sounds hard, right? It sounds hard. And so we have this promise. Yes, he's going to hold on to us, but we need to make an effort to hold on to him. Uh, so what's my resource? How am I going to do this? And again, here's his answer. Here's how you're going to do it. God's word. God's word is living, he says. It's active. This isn't just ink on paper. Right? These aren't just dead words on a page. They're alive, he says. They, and, and they still speak to us today. If I was doing a theological sermon, I would, I'd hammer down on each of these terms, but I'm not doing a theological sermon. I want us to feel the joy and the, and the power of this. God is, he, what is he saying? He's saying God is still speaking to us personally through his word. Right? It's, it's not just doctrines. There's a whole bunch of doctrines, but it's not just doctrines. God is still speaking to us through his word. If you walk with Jesus long enough, you'll start to accumulate experiences where he does just that, where he brings a a specific passage to life in in a way that that speaks to you directly. Now, he never does that in a way that contradicts anything in here. 
As, but, but, but he'll do it in ways that are, are in, in concordance with it or that flow out of things that it says. And so he will speak to us personally through the timeless truth that we find here. And so, and, and you'll, we all have these. Like the longer we walk with him, we start to have these. Uh, maybe it's a word of comfort. Right? And you're just going through something really hard and you, you, know, you find yourself and you kind of randomly flip to Isaiah. And there's a few passages in there where God just says, I'm with you. And you know he's talking to Isaiah, but you read it that morning and you just, you, you get it. He's with me. I'm with you. You, you. you don't hear a voice, but you might as well. It's that vivid. It's that strong. I'm with you. I'm here, God says. It's, maybe it's a word of comfort. Maybe it's a word of guidance. Right? It's a word of guidance. You know, he shows you something to help you make some, some decision you need to make. Right? And you've been dithering about this decision for weeks, maybe months, and, and you're just not sure if the timing's right, if this is the right thing. Um, Laura and I had one of these years ago. We were on, just trying to decide uh, if it was time to go, basically, from, from, from a place. And uh, it was from our previous church. And, and we just weren't sure. And one morning, I'm reading in my devotions, and I'm just reading through Luke. And I come to Luke 8.21, and Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. It had nothing to do with whether Laura and I were supposed to be open to go into a different call. Nothing to do with it, right? I mean, it would be terrible exegesis if I told you that's what that passage is about. It's not about me. But that morning, and I, we went, we talked about it. I mean, that was, it, it was it, for me, for me personally, it's one of those. Like I say, we all have these, a word of guidance through the living, active words of Scripture. It might be something else. Maybe it's a word of surrender, Right? Maybe that's what he brings. You know, you've, you've been holding on to that, some dream, some, some plan that you really, really wanted to happen. It was just so important to you. You've been chasing after it for years. And then one morning you're reading something that's got nothing to do with your plan or your dream, and the Lord just says, you need to let that thing go. You need to surrender that thing to me. Maybe it's something like that. Or maybe it's a word of conviction. A word of conviction. And you know what? That's actually the focus of verses 12 and 13. All those other ones I just uh, gave some samples of are, are included as well. But in context, it's actually conviction is where he goes first. He says God's word is sharp. Right? It's like a sword. It's like a sword, he says. What does a sword do? A sword cuts and it pokes and it prods. Right? And, and, and that, you know, what's, the, what's the idea? It cuts through. That's between soul and spirit. That's the inner person. It's, it's, it's us on the inside. And so what's he saying? He's saying God's word cuts through all the excuses and all the, de- the defenses and the masks and the smoke screens we put up. He, he cuts through it all. I might buy it if you tell it to me, but he won't. He doesn't buy it. Instead, what does he do? He, he lays it all bare. Right? He exposes it. That's verse 13. Uh, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed. Right? This, uh, this picture of vulnerability before God. Naked, ex- naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word cuts through everything that goes, uh, through all that stuff. His word cuts through it all and goes straight to our hearts. But, but here's the good news in all that. Right? If, I, if I stopped there, that sounds kind of scary. But here's the good news. He does it to help us. Right? It's in the context. This is why I had to talk about these verses today. It's in the context of helping us persevere. It's in the context of helping us press on in our faith in Jesus Christ. And so he doesn't do this, right? This sword of the Spirit isn't, isn't to hurt us. It's to help us. 
right? It'll, it'll, he, we will enter his rest, we, right? We will, he promised. But there's a whole lot of junk that that's, needs to be cleared out, right? Like a thicket that you needs to be swathed with a scythe to get through. It's a different picture, but it's, it's that kind of idea. There's a whole bunch of junk that, that God wants to remove. And that's where his word comes in. Right? That's why his word is so good for us. It removes all the stuff. That's that verses 12 and 13. It removes the stuff that, that chips away, that, that might be a barrier to us entering into that rest in this life. It's not going to keep us from outside, from eternity, but that, that, that tries to steal that from us. So his word is, is really one of the best, best resources of all that we have. Um, I had a friend uh, back, in, uh, back in Connecticut who uh, was in the Air Force. And uh, he was actually retired by the time I knew him. He's a little older than me, but he'd, uh, he'd served 20 years. He was 20 years in the Air Force. He'd risen to the rank of lieutenant colonel. And uh, when he retired uh, and they moved to our area, uh, his wife had bought him a gift. She'd bought him this kind of special gift to commemorate the occasion. Uh, she, she bought him a lieutenant colonel's dress sword, a lieutenant colonel's dress sword, which was his rank when he retired. Now, if I, a few of you have military background, forgive me if I'm describing this wrong. This is a layman's description, but, but uh, that's how it was explained to me, that this was a sword that a lieutenant colonel would wear in his, in his dress uniform. Uh, I don't know the details, but it was a beautiful sword. It, it was really very beautiful, and it actually came with a mount. She had gotten him this uh, extra thing to, to mount it, and so that it could be displayed. And when you'd go into their home, that's the first thing you would see. You would actually come into their foyer. It was, it was to the, the side. But, but there on the wall was this sword commemorating his Air Force career and, and all that he had done there. And, and like I say, it was, it was a gorgeous. It was really a gorgeous thing. It was beautiful, meaningful decoration in their home. But that's all that it was. It, it, it was just a decoration. It was just a memento collecting dust on the wall. Do not let that happen with this sword. Right? Do not let it. It was, it was appropriate for my friend's sword, right? He didn't need a sword in Glastonbury, Connecticut to attack people. But, but don't let that happen with this. Don't let it happen with the word. God gives us his word to help us, but it can't help us if we don't use it. Right? That's, that's the site. It's not a decoration. And I have to say, as I close, that the same thing is true with the other two resources. It's, it's equally true for the other two. A promise is only helpful if we believe it. Right? And an invitation is only helpful if we accept it. Right? You have to believe it. You have to accept it. And all three of those, all three of those are how we persevere. Right? So how, how are we going to enjoy the Lord's rest and keep pressing on in him in this life and the life to come? We believe the Lord's promise. We accept the Lord's invitation. And we take up the Lord's word and we read it. Would you pray with me, please? <clears throat> Lord, I pray you'd help us to do that, just that. Help us, Lord, to uh, hold fast to you, uh, to take up your word and read, to walk in uh, this invitation. Um, for all those of us who have already trusted in Jesus, who have uh, that invitation to accept you by grace, uh, I do pray again, Lord, for any here who have been pondering that invitation but haven't uh, felt ready yet, I pray that you will keep working on their hearts and that even today, Lord, that they would... Uh, surrender to you and give their life over to you. And Lord, help us all to hold fast to your promises. This one certainly today that you will hold us, that no one can snatch us from your hand. Help us to hold fast to that promise and trust in you. Uh, and in all of it, may Jesus be exalted in our lives. We thank you, Lord. We praise you even as we go now to praise uh, here at the end of our service. It's very appropriate that we praise you now. And that's what we do. In Christ's name, amen.